0: Welcome to Building Your Family. This podcast is about fertility treatment, donor conception, surrogacy, and all the ways the modern family is built. I'm your host. My name is Lisa Schumann. I'm a therapist, I'm a researcher, and I am passionate about helping people have a better journey to parenthood. And on this podcast, we are going to talk today with a very special guest. Her name is Chloe Molass, and if you don't know her, she was a correspondent on CNN and is now on the Today Show, which is amazing. But more than that, she's a very special person. She's done such amazing things and overcome so many hurdles, both in her personal and professional life. And I'm sure you've seen lots of information about her on the internet. And most recently, she has collaborated on a book with her grandfather called The Luck of the Draw, which is critically acclaimed, New York Times bestseller, amazing book. She does so much for other people, so much to advance understanding fertility treatment, understanding important issues. And today, she's going to do exactly that with us. She is going to share with us her family building journey and some important things that we need to know about building. Your family. So, welcome, Chloe. Thank you so much for coming today. I can't tell you how appreciative I am that you do all you do. Uh, certainly being here is amazing, but all that you do for Resolve and so many great organizations and certainly, which we can get to later, this book that I adore, putting lots (laughs) of great, great things out into the world. You just do so much. So thank you for coming today and spending your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Lisa. I'm actually under the weather. I have a cold, so I might be blowing my nose. It's those winter... Winter blues and my little kiddos, they just bring home so many germs. So sorry, I'm like a little under the weather, but I'm really, really excited to be here today.
0: Oh, well, that's great. And, you know, kids like to share these things. <laughs> I know it's very, very hard to stay away from it. So, so thanks and grab the tissues whenever you like. Yes. I think you're such a role model for so many people. And I really appreciate everything that you put out there on social media and that you volunteer with Resolve and do so much. I'm wondering, what made you decide to do all of this and what was it about your family building journey that made you decide, I really want to share this with the world? And because, you know, a lot of celebrities are not public about it. There's still, you know, a lot of shame.
1: I am not a celebrity. So no, well, I'm not. Okay. Someone yesterday was like, you're fans. I'm like, I don't have fans. What are you talking about?
0: You do have fans, Chloe.
1: regular mom who just happens to have a job where I am on TV, I remember what I was thinking. I was on my couch in my house in Westchester, New York, and it was Christmas Day. So we're coming up on that anniversary in a few days uh, of this story. And um, so perfect timing. And we had just done the gender reveal for my son, Luke in the backyard with Brian's whole family. And we had just found out that, you know, we were having a boy, our second child, and I was going to post the picture of us finding it out to announce to everyone, you know, surprise, baby boy, number two on the way. And I just decided to write this caption that said, despite what you're seeing, it was a really long journey to get here. And we went through ibf not just this time but we did it for our first child mm. it's this big secret i've been keeping that we've both been keeping and i just said like you know for everyone out there that's suffering i can relate and that was it and i got so many messages from people brian my husband got so many messages because he was had also said he had low sperm count I all of a sudden was finding myself responding to strangers about you know what I was going through and people were telling me really personal stories over the next couple of days. And then all of a sudden, People Magazine reached out to who I was working for at the time, CNN, and they said, we're, we're gonna cover Chloe's story. And I'm like, what? And then like Extra covered it. And then CNN decided to have me on TV to talk about it. And this is all within like a week of. Oh my gosh. So now it's 2019. Cause you know, all of a sudden it's the new year. And I started getting requests to go on podcasts. And that's when Allison Camerota, a friend of mine and an anchor who's at CNN, she's amazing. She was really involved with Resolve. And she was like, you really need to get involved with Resolve. And she invited me to Night of Hope, the gala.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And that's kind of the rest is history. Here we are four and a half ish five years later. And I've been the recipient of like advocacy awards. And I would never have imagined that one Instagram post would turn into such an amazing sense of, you know, responsibility.
0: But you didn't leave it there and say, okay, I'm just going to respond to the Instagram post. You said yes to all of those things, to going public with your story, to talking about it, to being open about it as you are now. It's really incredible. Do you, do you feel like there are any parts of it that you feel less comfortable with or things that really kind of still kind of turn your stomach?
1: I just started sharing. I'm I am an open person, so that's very unlike me to keep a secret like that for so long. So it felt really good to talk about it and at no point was I embarrassed or ashamed. I was worried for my husband who was talking about like his sperm count and all of that, but he embraced it and he found this new community and sense of belonging. And then he ended up doing this amazing fundraiser, like the following year in 2020, he raised all this money for while Cornell raised, I think a hundred thousand dollars or something like that for IVF. I could be wrong on that number, but it did cover a few people's IVF cycles. I mean- When I read like on my Wikipedia page, the details about my husband's sperm and stuff like that, of course, like it is very personal to read those kinds of things about yourself, but you know, I don't, I don't regret it. I'm so happy. It's been so great meeting all of these different people and also, you know, learning all these different stories. And obviously though, we are lucky. And not every story has this like beautiful bow at the end of children. IVF doesn't work for everyone. So I've also learned that our story on like the Richter scale of infertility problems that we, despite what I felt was very traumatic, the experiences I went through, it could have been a lot worse.
0: I think there's, you know, certainly we can always say there are people who have it easier and people who have it harder. But one part of that, Chloe, was that you didn't stop, right? You said, okay, we have fertility issues. We've got to get to the bottom of this. And you continued to pursue it, which is so hard. And I think that's why your voice is so important out there to give women hope that they can keep going because, as you know very often you just want to get in bed and pull the covers over your head when things get really tough. So what were some of the ways that you kept yourself going in this process?
1: Well, the first time around was just mm, so hard. It was really hard. You know, almost, we almost got a divorce, my husband and I. Um, It's hard to describe. It's, you know, I think I was like on the verge of some sort of nervous breakdown at that point when I started going through IVF because it had been so many rounds of IUI and so many, you know, different doctors, different clinics, and sort of just grasping for information and answers. And I sort of became like this fertility expert myself. So I thought, and when I was told by Dr. Reichman at while Cornell, that IVF was the only option at the time, I saw that as the end of the road, the death sentence, it's never going to work. It's only been bad news up until this point. And I had already been full of hormones and pills and all sorts of things that by the time I got on the IVF medication, I think it really just did not help my current mental state because I was already in a really bad place. And so when I went and saw a psychiatrist that my doctor pretty much said I needed to go see at Wild Cornell, when she told me that going through IVF is the same emotional toll as going through cancer treatments, and yes. that might sound controversial, but that's out there. That's been true. Anytime by experts, yes, far smarter than me. I felt really seen and validated. And I think I sort of like turned the corner and I think my husband was able to be more empathetic to me in that moment because he sort of felt like, I'm going to all these doctor's appointments. What more can I do? You know, I can't take the shots myself, you know? And he was administering the progesterone shots for me at night. And then my it really ruined my pregnancy just because I was so nervous the whole time during the pregnancy. But again, you know, when I had L- Leo, And it was a successful pregnancy and a successful birth. And he was a happy, healthy baby. Mm -hmm. A lot of that started to dissipate and I started to feel better. And then some of that same trauma I felt the second time around with Luke, but obviously it was less maybe on a scale of one to 10, it was more of like a six this time because I already had one baby. I was already so grateful and I already sort of knew what to expect, but it was still tough. And the second time around, sorry, this is a long answer, but the second time yeah. around, I had you know less great results. I had less eggs. We had worse sperm. We had you know less embryos and I never had any to freeze in either situation. So I always have people say oh. to me, everybody always asks me and strangers, would you ever go for a girl? Oh, but I I know you did IVF. Like, can't you just put my embryo in? I'm like, well, and then I have to explain, we did day three transfers and we have nothing left and we don't have anything on ice or frozen. So I would have to go through the whole thing all over again. And if I only had six eggs at 32, imagine at 37, 38, 39, I'm 37. I don't even know if I'd get any eggs from an egg retrieval.
0: Right. People just assume you've got 20 embryos on ice and you can just pick one. When you were going through that and things were so hard and you're kind of facing IVF and you think, oh my God, this is the worst I can imagine and I'm feeling miserable and depressed and Brian stressed. How did the two of you finally like get reconnected with each other? How did you finally like, get back to a place where you felt like you could be on the same page?
1: as soon as we started going through i mean first of all all of the timed intercourse tracking my ovulation and then the failed iuis the finger pointing we should have had sex at this time you were late you know you shouldn't be drinking so much coffee stop working out i would say to my husband i read mm. you know don't do this don't don't wear boxer briefs don't wear tight this you know all of the stuff we'd fight over And all the stress I put myself under, like holding my legs in the air after sex for like 30 minutes, you know, crazy stuff. Well, now to me, it's crazy. I'm not saying it's crazy if anybody's doing it.
0: No, we've all been there, Chloe. You
1: know, once I started doing IVF, I mean, he was by my side through all of it. And then obviously went to every single doctor's appointment. I was lucky in that respect. When we did get pregnant, he went to every single like OBGYN appointment. You know, we were always a team. We never stopped being a team. And I think obviously that trauma turned into happiness as we got closer and saw the sonograms and saw the heartbeat and saw him, all these milestones were positive and positive checkups and then obviously preparing for the birth. So I would say that like slowly we got into a happier place. And then obviously like that bliss when we had Leo, our first child, you know, we never looked back and we never talked about it. We never really talked about it again.
0: So you naturally started to reconnect because you were so close to start, you feel like.
1: Yeah. And look, I don't think that we ever would have actually divorced. Even if we couldn't have had children together, we would have adopted, right? Or we would have done Mm -hmm. something else. I always would have had kids, no matter what, because I was destined to be a mom, whether they are my biological children or not. And I feel the same way for him. I think we were just in a bad place. You know, it was a tough time. It's not like we got lawyers and we were going to divorce. I think you just say things when you're on the brink of emotion.
0: Of course. Of course, we all do. I've been through treatment myself and I was in the same place. I completely understand.
1: It was bad news after bad news after bad news after unclear diagnoses unclear testing, strange results, Doc, one doctor telling me, you know, this will work, IUI will work for you. Another one telling me that IBF is my only chance, you know, all this stuff. And then and then you're reading all these things that I should be eating and taking and sleeping and sleeping on this side and wearing socks and eating pineapple, corn, all these things. It's just so much. On top of that, I'm working full time and you have stresses of just life. Yeah. And I had just started a new job. I had just started at CNN when all of this was happening. Um, So nobody knew. I wasn't telling my bosses and my coworkers, but actually, I did start to talk about it with some of my coworkers, and they were all men, and all of their wives were going through IVF at the exact same time. Oh, my gosh. I found this tribe of men. You would think that I found a tribe of women, I found a tribe of men, which you know, those men, one of them is Brian Stelter, who's still a good friend of mine today. And he has been open about him and his wife, Jamie Stelter, who's on New York One, their experiences. And he's even taken part in an IVF panel with me that I put together once. So
0: that's fantastic. So as soon as you were open about it, it really, even though it's hard to be, it seemed like it was really beneficial because you developed a little little community and that helps.
1: Yeah, I felt less alone. But again, like I felt less alone, but nobody knew. None of my friends friends knew. Very limited family members knew. My husband's family didn't know about the IVF until we told them we were pregnant with Leo. And again, I didn't publicly say anything for a few years until I was pregnant with Luke, my second child. So then when I came forward, so to speak, publicly with Luke and our IVF journey for both kids... That was when the floodgates opened and I started interacting with strangers and this community and learning that, wow, I am really not alone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's so important for people to know. I think even all of these things that you're talking about, Chloe, You know, in the literature, we talk about the precious pregnancy being the pregnancy after fertility treatment, right? Even that is so anxiety-filled because you just don't know. You're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. How did you get through that? You must have been thinking through this whole process, you're holding this in and you're thinking, I want to have baby number two, and now I have to get through this whole pregnancy. And probably at some point you're thinking, all right, I've got to get back to the fertility doctor.
1: So when I had Leo, I was 30. And then a year later, I went back to my doctor Dr. Reichman and we jumped right into IVF and when we were doing IVF he said there's a chance we might need to cancel this because you're you're not ovulating on one of your ovaries your other one I'm not so sure about how many eggs we're going to get during the retrieval and I remember being on the phone saying well We've already spent this money. This round of IVF was now out of pocket. Luckily, the first time it had been covered by insurance, and I had maxed out now at this point. And so I was just like, Well, we're already so many days into this IVF cycle. Let's just do it. Um, and thank God we did, because as cheesy as it sounds and as you know, unlikely as it sounds when people say it only takes one. I hated it when people said that because it's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Don't even say that to me. Right. But no, it's really true. At least in my case, I had six eggs retrieved, four were mature. For everybody out there that's into the numbers game, I used to love numbers on the message boards. So six were mature, six eggs retrieved, four were mature. We made two embryos. That's it. Two embryos with ICSI one was considered like top grade and the other was just not good. So mm. they recommended a three-day transfer. I don't know if that's just because of my age again, being under 35, no genetic predispositions on either side. And considering I'd already had a healthy pregnancy, we just took our chances. Yeah. And so then that was Luke. I'm glad I did that cycle.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> you never know. So did you feel like, oh my gosh, I mean, even just hearing your story, Chloe, like after Luke was born, you probably just like sighed this big relief, like, okay, that's hopefully behind me.
1: I was just stressed all the time. I mean, I was stressed in the lead up to get pregnant with both of them. I was stressed while I was pregnant. And then having a newborn is obviously stressful. So yes. I feel like it's just been enormous stress and and PTSD from from all of it. Now that Leo is almost, he'll be, you know, he's six and a half and Luke is four and a half. You know, I have had thoughts about having a third child, but now the things I think about are not about the stress of IVF or fertility. It's my age now. It's not even about going for a girl. It's just about maybe wanting a third. Mm-hmm. Now it's it, now it's more about just this, the safety of me and the safety of, you know, c- carrying a child because I'm 37, and I'm, you know, if, let's say I tried for a baby in a year or two, those are the things I think about. Like, do I want to have a baby at 40? Right. You know, and yeah. do I want my children to be 10 years apart? Right. So, those are the things that I think about now. It's less about the anxiety of doing IVF because I've done it. And also, if it didn't work, I think that I would be okay with that as well, given that I got so lucky with two.
0: Well, you did. And also, you didn't. I mean, the first. Both of these experiences were really tough. It's not like it was easy for you, Chloe, and you just kept on moving forward and pushing. And what sorts of things do you feel were most helpful for you to feel like you have hope, to not say, you know, I I can't take this anymore, I give up, like, let's just go adopt or let's just go, you know, how did you stay in in the game?
1: During the first cycle of all of this, when I was trying to get pregnant the first time, I didn't have anybody or resources to turn to. I felt really alone and incredibly depressed. So I don't really have great advice as to how I got through it the first time, other than my deep desire to have a family and I just am somebody that doesn't give up. So I was going to just continue no matter what that led me to whether it would be sperm donor, egg donor, to adopt. I don't know how that would have ended if IVF didn't work, but I wouldn't have stopped at that point because that's just not who I am, right? And I know, you know, obviously there's financial obstacles too. I don't know what I would have done. I don't know if I would have taken a loan out. I, I don't, I don't. couldn't, hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't know. Second time around, I was stronger based on having gone through it. But again, during both those times of my two infertility journeys to get pregnant or fertility journeys, now I feel like I would have a community because now I know about podcasts and now I know about Resolve and now I know about other people who have come forward with truly traumatic stories, right? I've seen people go public like Kim Kardashian with surrogacy. I've seen Chrissy Teigen share about her. Miscarriage and the issues that she's had to get pregnant, and so I feel like as I have evolved, I feel like other people have become more public, and that's for sure. So the stigma is even dissipating in just the last few years, and there are a lot more resources than there were seven years ago when I was first going through this. Again, this is all very new for everyone. I think I, you know, I met the first IVF baby at the Resolve New England. Mm-hmm weekend, I went up in Rhode Island and I met her It's only like 40 years old. Yes. There's still so much of a community to build and so many people to help and so much more to learn. So I don't really have great advice other than what worked for me is just don't stop. But that's easy to say. I mean, but what does that look like? I don't know what that looks like for everyone. There's a financial burden here right? For the medication and for all of this is really expensive. And I was talking to somebody the other day that has done multiple rounds of failed IVF. They're looking at surrogacy now because the egg donor that hasn't worked either the IVF with the egg donor. So, you know, it's all really expensive and that's the worst part of it
0: it's so hard and really really difficult in this country to not have some way for everybody to be you know more equal in that way fortunately we now have a new designation from ASRM that fertility has a new title and so we can look at fertility treatment for being for single people and gay and lesbian couples, which is great, but it still doesn't help us financially yet. And that's true. But even just going through it emotionally, I think is such a roller coaster that people don't anticipate and they don't expect it's going to happen to them. We all kind of grow up thinking when we want to have children, we'll have them. Right. And so I think just even the shock of saying, What do you mean I, I'm, a, I'm having trouble is so difficult. So I I guess I'm wondering, and, you know, Chloe, you, you mentioned that all these people are talking about it. You talking about this is also contributing to helping so many people because these voices are really important, right? For every time you speak about it, there's millions of people out there that don't feel so much alone. So I really appreciate that. And I'm wondering if you thought about it kind of, you know, years back, and I'm sure it's hard to kind of think about it now, but If you had to do it all over again, or if you could give advice to someone who's, let's say, in their 20s now, thinking about, okay, I've got my career, I've got my partner, I'm dating, I'm thinking about getting married, what would you advise them? What I know now, and I am no doctor, (laughs) surprise, is just that
1: I have something called low ovarian Egg reserve, low ovarian Mm -hmm. reserve, it means that I don't have a lot of eggs. So you're born with a certain number of eggs. And so every time you have your period, you are shedding eggs. So every single time you have your period, you have less eggs and your body doesn't make any more eggs. You are born with your amount of eggs and that is it. Okay. I didn't know that. Or if it was taught to me in sex ed, I never learned that. Yeah. I wish that they had talked about IVF and talked about the fact during sex ed, less about the fact that you're going to get pregnant if you have sex and be careful, which is important. Um, in STDs, I wish there was also a portion about you might have to do IVF and there might be problems. I wish I'd been prepared for that and known about it. And I would just say to everyone, if you're in your mid-20s or you're in a serious relationship at the point where you're thinking about maybe wanting to have children, or you're over the age of 25, I would ask your OBGYN to specifically test in blood work for your FSH levels. I think, believe that's what tells you your AMH. Over, oh, and your AMH levels, mm-hmm. right? FSH yeah. and AMH, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think that those are the two things to know and know where you stand. And I think, like, if you really want to be. Go extra credit here is when you get married or if you're engaged, I think that you and your partner, if you're in a heterosexual relationship, you should have both get checked. Your partner get checked for his sperm count and you get checked for your egg levels. If you're in um, a same-sex relationship, you guys should get either your sperm checked or get your eggs checked if you're planning to use your own. So I, I just think that all around you should check.
0: Yeah. That's wonderful advice. So I hope everybody's listening and doing that and nobody really wants to think about it.
1: That is really easy to check. That's not like genetic testing and things like that. So to have your OBGYN or someone check that out or go get your sperm checked, that's not going to break the bank. So that's easy to do. And And I'm not saying go freeze your eggs. I never did that. I know that's really popular now. I know a lot of companies are covering people to freeze their eggs and that's great. I mean- Would I have freezed my eggs knowing now I have low ovarian reserve? I guess, yeah, maybe I would have done that in my 20s if it was covered by my company. Why not? Yeah. People weren't talking about that. Companies weren't talking about that, you know, 12 years ago or broadcasting that. I know I wouldn't have even known what an egg retrieval was, right? So, yes, problem. We have to talk about all of this now. Now I have friends who are 40, who are, you know, single, who, Are talking about how they froze their eggs a few years ago. How great, you know? So, I I think if you can get something like that covered by your company, it's a no-brainer.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. And it is hard when you're 20 and you're thinking about graduate school or work or traveling or whatever to kind of think about these things. But women plan for their careers, right? And we need to plan for our families too. So. And it's just not something that any of us grew up with. So I think that's wonderful advice.
1: And I think that everybody always thinks, probably like, this will never happen to me. Yeah. I have learned in my 30s that it's really important to be a little bit self aware, a little bit pessimistic, a little glass half empty is not so bad because it's important to, you know, not be blindsided, right? I had a house fire. I've had some wild oh. things happen over the last few years, right? And you would never think that these things would happen. So it's really important to prepare for those rainy days.
0: Right. And to remember that that it can happen to anybody. I think you're absolutely right about that. And it's hard. It's hard to think about those things, but it's so important. And I really appreciate you saying that. I also, before I let you go, Chloe, I wanted to mention something else. You know, I, I talk a lot about different st- stress reduction strategies, and one of them that I just posted about recently was about bringing more joy into your life. So mm-hmm. with that, I know it's really important for people to do what they can to relieve stress and to do things that are helpful for them to be able to talk to the therapist, but also bringing joy is important. So that brings me to this. I wanted you to mention the uh, film that's coming out. This is a New York Times bestselling book, by the way, and you can see we're all reading this book in my household. Uh, Again, it's so fantastic. Could you mention the movie that's coming out about it?
1: Yes. So I published my grandfather's World War II memoir called Luck of the Draw in February of, of this year. And it's the little engine that could. It became a New York Times bestseller, much to everyone's joy and surprise and my grandfather is the basis of one of the characters in a TV show that comes out next month on Apple TV called Masters of the Air it's produced by Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg it stars Austin Butler and everyone is so 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 excited for this and i'm i'm going to the premiere next month and i actually just met Austin Butler the other day and i just really hope that if you have Apple TV If you don't, you should get it. But um, if you have Apple TV, you got to watch this show. It's going to be great. And um, my grandfather's name is Frank Murphy. So if you see Frank in the show, that was my grandfather.
0: So everybody out there, you have to see this and you have to read this book. I honestly, even if you're not a World War II buff as we are in this household, it is so beautifully written and such an amazing story. So you really should pick up the book and Tune into the movie, and I'm really amazed by all of this, Chloe. I know that um, I just read a little something on the internet that you come from a long line of heroes, right? You have a a Greek ancestor who was a hero, I think, uh, and so you're a hero to all of us in the fertility community too. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate all your time and your energy and all you're doing for this community. So thank you. And thanks for being here today. Can people reach out to you on Instagram or any place else if they have questions?
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was really so wonderful. You were such a good interviewer, Lisa. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm public on Instagram. So it's just Chloe Malas and you can direct message me. I read all my messages. And if you, you know, just tell me that you heard me on this podcast, you know, I also jump on the phone with people. You can also ask me for my email when you DM me and I'll give you my email address and I'll try to help however I can.
0: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And for all of you out there, this has been a real treat. I hope you've enjoyed it. And please reach out to Chloe. She is a wealth of information and does so much and has such a big heart, as you can see. So thanks. And please subscribe, because that's how we can keep going. And I'll see you next time. Hi, it's Lisa Schumann just popping in quickly to say thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please rate, review, and subscribe because that's how we keep going and come back for more.